Church. This is a new experience. My name's Bryn, and this is the first time that I have had the privilege of speaking here at Summit Church. I'm one of the elders. We'll just get some slides up. My apologies that um, the service started a few minutes late today. It was kind of my fault, a technical fault. It's all about widescreen versus three, four. So as we get the slides going, I just thought I'd better give a little note of introduction because the, often the speaker comes up and you think, oh, who are they? This is my family. You know Rebecca? She often is worship leading on harmonies. We've got four children, Caleb, Dominic, Toby and Amber. I live in Bucklands Beach. I haven't fallen far from the nest. I grew up only a few kilometres away from where we now live. Our kids go to the same schools that I went to. Um, I did have a few years away, and in fact the bottom right-hand slide there shows uh, one of the most amazing years of my life, work, doing time with, couldn't call it working, but with YWAM, doing an outreach particularly in Brazil and the favelas, and we might come back to that. I work as a doctor. Although I was a GP, I work in mostly that building you can see, which is the old National Women's Hospital, which is the home of Auckland Regional Public Health. Think of Auckland Regional Public Health, think of measles, unfortunately, at the moment, though we look after lots of different infectious diseases. One of the most exciting parts of my job, though, is working at the Refugee Centre here in Auckland. We, together with the team you can see there, we meet all the incoming refugees, the quota refugees that get spread around the country. It's a great privilege to hear from them hear their amazing stories of triumph over the most incredible times of adversity. So as we turn to the word today, the clicker may not click, we're going to look at transform, if I do that, that means do it. As we look at the word, we carry on our series of John, transformed by innocence. I get a very large section today spanning from John 18, 28, right through to the midway of chapter 19. This is the story of Pilate. Can we just pray? Father God, thank you for this time we could have together. We pray that as we open your word, your word would come alive in a whole new way. Maybe, may we leave here, all of us, having gained something new from your word, something we can take home and apply to our lives. Thank you so much for your word that is as live today as it has ever been, and it is just the best teaching we can ever, ever have. Thank you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. So those were the actual words we're looking at today, the, the spoken word from John. They, words aren't changed, that is the NIV version of, so there's so much dialogue in this section. Our big idea today, therefore, Jesus is the only truly innocent sufferer. I didn't really make that up. It comes from Tim Keller, who added a few extra words. Jesus is the ultimate Job, the only truly innocent sufferer. Jesus was innocent and he suffered. Let's break that down a bit more. As we look into the story today, one claimed innocence one dreamt about innocence, but only one truly was innocent. What is innocence? Innocence might be a little pussycat. Innocence might be Reuben Carter, the hurricane who was wrongly incarcerated. You've seen the movie starring Denzel Washington. We think about prisoners who are wrongly accused of crimes they didn't commit. We think of the innocence of childhood, children who have had been exposed to stuff that is way beyond their time. They shouldn't be exposed. But that's what I get to see 
sadly, at the refugee centre, as so many children whose childhoods have been taken by terrible things that they have seen. Some people say their innocence was shattered on 9-11, that's just a picture from New York, where their world changed on that day, both those exposed then and others around the world. So what does innocence really mean? It's an adjective. It's a noun. Innocence, as you can see, is not guilty. You know what it all means. You know what innocence is. But as we look at the word today, although people claim innocence, only Jesus was truly innocent. I need my glasses on today because I am dependent on that slide at the back. And it's really small. So if I'm sort of going, you know, you know why, I see why some people write it all down now, I get it. Okay, so what is passion? We know about the, it's called the passion of the Christ. Passion. Where we think of passion in the 21st century, of course, we think of a different type of passion, don't we? We think it's kind of a sort of intimate passion. No, no, passion comes from the lati pati, to suffer. Actually, patience comes from the same stem word. In fact, if you genuinely love something, someone, you're prepared, you do suffer for it. Therefore, compassion is literally to suffer together, to suffer alongside. Is that what we think of when we think of compassion? To suffer alongside. Some people say, that, oh, that's too hard. In some fields of work, yeah, that's just too hard. But it makes us stop and think, is that how we exhibit compassion? Tim Keller again, his second quote of the day. The more you love someone, the more the person's grief and pain becomes yours. Food for thought. So what we're going to do as we go through this passage is, is look at it character by character. We saw four sort of represented here. We're going to look at those four and perhaps a couple more that are in the other Gospels. Because the story is, of course, key throughout. Pontius Pilate. I say that he's a Roman. He's from Italy. He likes pizza and pasta. In fact, Pontius Pilate has been represented by Hollywood in so many different ways. There's just a few. Sometimes the buffoon, as Monty Python did. Sometimes as the tyrant. Sometimes as kind of this divisive character, this wavering fellow who doesn't really know what he's doing. Hollywood loves Pilate. So do some churches. You may know that some of the um, churches in Africa and some of the Orthodox churches have actually sanctified or made him basically a saint out of Pilate. They see him as a good person. So what do we learn about Pilate's character traits? What do we learn from the things he's just, that, um, in fact, Caleb said? Actually, before we do that, let's think about why he was so disliked at this time. Well, we said he's a Roman. Judea did not like the Romans. They were being sort of incarcerated. They were basically, they didn't like them. This were the people keeping them under law. It was very unpleasant times. Furthermore, Pilate had taken their money. He'd taken the money that was for the temple, taken it away to build his pet project. It sounds like politics in 2019 sometimes. The super fund is taken away and put into something else and you kind of wish you still had it. So they, he took the money and built an aqueduct. Well, that sounds very worthy. Jerusalem needed water. And in fact, he wasn't the first to develop this, but he was the third along the project. So ironically, he built the aqueduct that got water from near Bethlehem all the way into Jerusalem that desperately needed water. So he's Roman. He's kind of taken their funds. 
And furthermore, at this time, it's Passover. Now think Passover, think Christmas on steroids. This is a crazy time. This is busy week. I mean, this is when everyone's coming together, the family's coming to town, and the cedar meal makes often Christmas, the Christmas turkey seem kind of simple. Everything has to be just so. So people are stressed, extra visitors are in town, and Pilate has to keep things under control. He doesn't want to get back to Rome, that things have gone a bit crazy over the special week for the Jews. So one of the key lines he says, and Caleb said it as Pilate, what is truth? What did, what did truth mean to Pilate? Pilate, again, he was subject to um, Tiberius, the emperor in, in Rome, and his idea of truth was probably shades of grey rather than black and white. So the verse said, what is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. His idea of truth wasn't that that Jesus was preaching. We heard Jesus in the verse just before say, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What he's saying there is, here is Jesus on truth, here is everybody else. There is a line. Jesus' truth, the other. This was a foreign concept to Pilate, hence his retort, what is truth? He could not understand. Jesus' truth, the biblical truth, is of course absolute truth. It is black and white. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm our way, our truth, and our life, the the, black and white. Again, a concept that was so foreign to Pilate. As soon as the chief priests... If, do you want to turn around? Just, just have a little look at that screen. It just flashes so much. You see that? <laughs> see all that flashing going on? So if I'm sort of blinking again, it's because <laughs> of that. As soon as the chief priest... No, no, Robin, I don't think you can fix it. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw them, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. You'll know more famously, in, not in John, but in the other Gospels, it's said that he, of course, he chose to wash his hands. <laughs> so he was absolving all responsibility for Jesus' crucifixion. Was he innocent? No. But Jesus, as we'll see, comes to a verse where he says, nah, maybe you're guilty, but maybe there's others who are more guilty. So when Pilate heard from Jesus, we also heard, we know that he is he's declaring his innocence. We know that he doesn't understand truth. But he also says that he's afraid. Or he, the, the word says he's afraid. This isn't usual for, if you like, the prime minister or the ruler of a land to show fear. There's, there's lots of theories as to why he may have been afraid. He may have been afraid of the Jewish leaders. He may have been afraid that word would get back to Rome, that he wasn't doing his job well, that he was being held ransom by one man while an uprising was potentially happening. 
He, he may have been afraid because he'd heard word that there was something else going on. He may have been afraid because he was a superstitious man and he actually thought, wow, there's something going on here. Some theories believe that he might have been already a follower of the way. There's, there's no proof of that. What we do know was that he was afraid. C.S. Lewis writes, Pilate was merciful till it became risky. There's so many theories about Pilate, where his thing, but I think this sums it up. He, he, he displayed elements of mercy, but then when the dice really fell, he could not release him. Pilate was calculating. He was pragmatic, but most of all, he was self-preserving. It was about him more than anything else. Pilate's wife. Now, she didn't get mentioned in our story. We didn't see Pilate's wife. But I love this little verse in Matthew. It's only once. Many books have been written. Even I think she's appeared in a movie. They call her Procula or Claudia. We don't know her name. But the verse in Matthew says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal in a dream today because of him. So here we are, here's our scene before, Pilate's here, and suddenly he's on his judge's seat, and suddenly a messenger comes in, <clears throat> excuse me, Pilate, got a message from home, <sighs> oh, his wife has sent him a message. That would have thrown a spanner in the works, even a bigger spanner in the works when he sits down maybe to brunch a couple of hours later. <sighs> what happened? Did you, did you release him? I told you about my dream, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it didn't go so well. Tense times in the Pilate household. <laughs> also strange, a few days later, perhaps three days later, when there's a, well, three or four days later, when there's a knock on the door, who is it? Yeah, you know that man, yeah, he's gone. That's a different story. We don't know quite what's happening, but we do know, well, we can presume there was tense times in their house. Another character who... Um, isn't in here, but is a key character in some of the other Gospels, Herod Antipas. And again, apologies if your pus is sort of sliding off the screen. That's kind of a widescreen issue. Anyway, Herod Antipas. Now, the Herod's family gets a bit confused. In fact, here's their family tree. It's complicated. It's so complicated that I think, well, simplify it. There. So, Herod the Great, of course, he was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, had lots of wives and lots of sons. Three of them, at least, became tetrarchs, of which one, Herod Antipas, became the ruler of Galilee. Now, you may have heard a verse, a thing, when um, Pilate was asking Jesus, where do you come from? This was his out. He wanted to hear, he knew, really, you're from Galilee. Good, good, I've got an idea. In fact, we know that Herod was in town for the Passover. Fantastic, thought Pilate. I've, I'll send you to Herod. So Jesus, we didn't hear this in John, but gets marched off to Herod, Antipas, who is very excited to meet Jesus. We hear in Luke's Gospel. I'll paraphrase, but you can read it up on the screen. Basically, Herod had been wanting to meet Jesus because he was famous for doing tricks and special things. Herod had been really looking forward to meeting him. Herod wasn't a nice man. John the Baptist had met his fate as a result of Herod Antipas. But Jesus stayed silent. He didn't do miracles or what here. And he was very disappointed. And in fact, they dressed him in a robe, um, abused him, and sent him back to Pilate. So Pilate's special sort of out didn't work. But we do know that subsequently Herod and Pilate 
became on better terms subsequently. So this was another thing. What do we know about Herod? He was curious. He wanted to meet Jesus. He was very powerful. But again, indecisive and most of all, self-serving. It was all about him. So our Jewish leader played by Harrison. We know there were probably many of them. We know it wasn't Caiaphas from the opening here from um, John 18, 28. But they were very self-serving as well. Some of the verses that we have from the Jewish leaders. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Hence, why they were outside the palace, following the rules of keeping away from things Roman during the Passover, the time when they needed to maintain their cleanliness. It's interesting that it's early morning. So there was probably some tricks at play. Jesus, of course, been arrested in the garden just the night before, and this is early in the morning. Many say it was so that the followers of the way hadn't heard what was happening. They were probably woke up and think they had no idea of the arrest and the trial before Pilate. John 19.7 says, The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. This was their first claim to Pilate, that Jesus claimed to be Son of God. This was of no interest to Pilate. This was a Jewish issue. This wasn't an issue for the governor, for the prime minister, if you like, for the prefect, as the term was. No, this didn't work for Pilate, because this was an internal squabble. He said, no, 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 no. That's not a, that is not cause for crucifixion. So then... They tried another way. This is where they really tried to get between, get to Pilate. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You were either for Caesar or against Caesar. A friend of Caesar or basically an enemy of Caesar. There was no middle ground. There were Jews who travelled back and forth to Rome, so it was quite possible that they would somehow get in Tiberius's ear and it would be bad for Pilate. This worked. This made Pilate very unsettled. Suddenly, the game had changed. Perhaps this could harm Pilate. It's not just an internal squabble. These Jewish leaders were manipulative. They were cunning. And again, like all the others, it was all about them. So self-serving. The soldiers. We saw a soldier on stage. What's it like to be a soldier? The same soldiers we heard a couple of weeks ago, there was a a large number who who had gone to the garden to arrest Jesus. We know that there were soldiers around. What's it like to be a soldier who doesn't really have a voice but has an internal opinion, who's told to do things like flog when they've got no understanding as to why. It must just be awful to have that, to be engaged but not be able to say anything. That was the verse we heard Toby say, Hail, King of the Jews, this mocking as they sat. And what, what happens in mass when you're with others that are sometimes different when you're on your own? 
Would some of those soldiers have, have gone home and wept and thought, what have I done today? We don't know. Also, we don't know about the others, the bystanders, the followers. Surely there were others there at the palace that day. As we said, he was arrested in the night before, and then this is early in the morning. Pilate's probably very grumpy that he's been called to work so early in the morning. Where were they? Many would say that, you know, the social media hadn't gone out yet. They hadn't been informed through Facebook or Twitter that Jesus had been arrested. But no, there were probably some there. What would it have been like to see their king, their Jesus, arrested, mocked, and taken away to be crucified. Would they have said anything or was that not an environment they could say anything? What's it like to be a bystander, to be part of a story but not actively engaged? Are we ever like those bystanders where we hear things about our Lord, our Saviour, our Christ, but we say nothing? They would have been there, but we don't hear about them. And then, of course, most importantly, there's Jesus. He, he stayed quite quiet throughout the trial. What he had to say was wise. Let's look at some of those verses, that, some of the words of Jesus. Jesus answered, you would have no power for, over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. This is an interesting term, isn't it? A greater sin. We hear in Sunday school that all sin is equal, every sin is a sin. And yet Jesus here refers to a greater sin. The ones who handed me over to you, is he referring to the Jewish leaders or Judas or, or possibly both? And why was that a greater sin? Jesus actually refers to a greater sin in another in a parable. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see your guilt remains. If people are aware who Jesus is and don't follow his way or reject him, are they guilty in a different way? We wonder what happens. We, we know that the Jewish leaders expected a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. Their, their writings said there was a coming Messiah, but this was not who they expected. This wasn't a king. This wasn't someone who was going to take away those uh, Roman rulers. This wasn't who they expected at all. This was a humble man followed by a tax collector, some fishermen, and a bunch of others. No, no, that, that can't be Messiah to them. But we hear that they're guilty of a greater sin. So we've got a whole lot of characters, a whole lot of people. But where do we fit into the story? Is there a message for, for us? We think of it Easter time. We think about the cross, of course. We think about Jesus. But sometimes there is another story that, where we can find ourselves. Sometimes we can perhaps associate with Pilate. Perhaps we have a, a difficult boss and we are in a place of decision-making that's incredibly hard. We're torn in, in both directions and we want to do the right thing we also want to look after ourselves. Perhaps we can't see that black and white when there does seem to be shades of grey. That we ever find ourselves in a difficult position like Pilate found himself. 
Are we, are we sometimes that silent observer, perhaps the bystander, perhaps the soldier who, who does have a place, do, not, not doing things that they want to do? Are we sometimes in that position? Perhaps we can think of things we have seen or done that we would rather we had intervened, but we were scared. Sometimes you think you might have seen a, a crime, I could have done something. Are we following Jesus when we don't stand up for him? How often do we hear Jesus' name mocked? Do we blaspheme and do nothing because we think, is this the right thing to do? And we're torn in our heads as to what is the right thing to do at this time and place. Perhaps neither. Perhaps we just follow the crowd. Perhaps we don't even engage our brain. Sometimes we go with the flow and then look back afterwards thinking, wow, that was a bit crazy. Why did I do that? Are we in the moment? Are we putting Jesus first? Are we thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? Perhaps another situation, perhaps we are like Pilate's wife, that we know something to be true, and yet our opinion, when we give it, is completely ignored. Perhaps we do know things, and we want to share, and we do share, and then it's shut down. That could happen. Perhaps there's another person we could be in this story. Perhaps... We are a son of the Father. Perhaps a little bit, we're a bit of a rebel. Perhaps maybe we've done some stuff we regret in the past. Perhaps we've even stolen some stuff. Perhaps worse, because we're all sinners. Perhaps we are in the story, and until I'd read around this, I hadn't ever stopped to consider this. For you see, son of the Father, bar Abba, Barabbas. Barabbas was probably born a much-loved son. His name meant that, son of the father. Ironic, really, we have Jesus, son of the father, and Barabbas, son of the father. They shouted back. You heard Harrison say this. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had been taken part in an uprising. That's all we hear. In John, although he is mentioned in all four Gospels. Imagine what it was like for Barabbas. He's in prison. He's about to be crucified. He's sitting there contemplating what he's done and what's led to this time. And suddenly a guard comes and says, Barabbas, you're free. Well, it's kind of complicated, really. But basically, another is taking your place. Mine? Yeah, you're free. You can go. Go and be, live well. But you are free. We don't know how we felt. We know nothing. But can you imagine what it was like to be Barabbas on that day. One would think he might have said, wow, I've got a second chance. I'm going to live for the best of the rest of my life. We don't know that, but we know our story. We know that we are sinners, and perhaps we haven't robbed, murdered, and caused an uprising, but we know that we are all broken sinners, and we are sons or daughters of a father. Perhaps, like Barabbas, we don't realise that we got a second chance on that day. For, of course, another did 
go to the cross that day. And Barabbas got a second chance, just as we do or ongoing. You see, our big idea was that Jesus is the only true innocent sufferer. And of all the characters, all the people in the story, we can identify with many of them, but perhaps the closest is in fact Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Perhaps you are Barabbas. But the good news is that on that cross, Jesus took my place. We were sinners. We had no chance until Jesus, truly innocent, took our place. Isn't that amazing? First Peter says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, no deceit at all was found in his mouth. He was pure and innocent. But on that day, and he knew what was going to happen. We, 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 this is, we hear that this part of the story, we know Pius and the guards and the Jewish leaders, Jesus knew from his father what was ultimately happening, what his fate had determined. But this sinless man went to the cross and took Barabbas' sin, my sin, other sins, everyone who has decided to follow him. Second Corinthians, if the band wants to um, prepare. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that at him we might become the righteousness of God. No sin, completely innocent, the only one who has ever been. In the song we're about to sing, Chris Tomlin just takes that verse. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Wow, that is amazing love. Love, so amazing. Can we just pray? Father God, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the nuances and things that are there that we sometimes, when we read it, we see afresh. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your complete innocence. Thank you that we can follow you and your way is black and white. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the light, and there is no other. Father God, may we just, on this day, and reflect on who we are in you. May we remember that we are sinners, and you, on that cross, took our place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are mighty and the Saviour of all, with amazing love. Amen.